Greetings and welcome to another Different Church Podcast. My name is Jarrett and I am so excited that you are listening. I'm recording this intro on a Sunday night. This morning was a really awesome day for us. We had a great crowd. Uh, the band was on fire. <laughs> Normally, if I said something that dumb, I would just delete it and re-record. But I'm leaving it in because the band was on fire. <laughs> uh, we had two new, sort of new people. Uh, Dan jumped in on bass. He's played with us once before. Um, and his wife, Tanya, led. And she has never played with us before. And um, I had high hopes and expectations because <clears throat> she keeps some pretty great company the uh all the musicians that she hangs around with are really great and i've heard her on video but I, i've never heard her in person today and she did not disappoint it was awesome if you weren't there i'm sorry we'll try and get her back again in december maybe uh but it was a really cool day uh just thanks to everybody in the band for um honoring us with your talents Today was also really awesome because Hannah was so good today. Last week was really cool. We, um, as Hannah said, just kind of had a chat and a check-in about mental health and anxiety. And that stuff is super important. We're really big um, fans of that at different church, of just always putting that on the forefront and not being afraid to talk about it. However, it's awesome to get back to the bread and butter. And that's what today was. Hannah really dove in deep to a really weird kind of chunk of the Bible and there was a lot of learning and a lot of growing honestly today is exactly what we hoped for when we started different and that was uh really great music you know the sort of thing you may not hear in other churches um we like to play songs that are open to the whole spectrum of emotion but also we have some praise and worship music in there the last two songs were straight up praise and worship and then along with that is uh hannah teaching the scripture through a progressive lens and it was great um and you're gonna see because you're listening to the podcast and you're gonna hear how cool her message was here in like i don't know two minutes because i'm almost done blabbing the only thing i want to tell you about is i want to just go ahead and get you ready and psyched for christmas we're gonna start doing some christmas music in uh you know the first first week of december and we'll kind of ramp it up and then december 20th is going to be our big Christmas celebration and the whole day is going to be Christmas songs. We have some really fun stuff planned. Heather is actually going to be uh, leading that day and no one knows Christmas more than Heather. She's going to freaking crush it and sing Michael Buble and everything you want to hear at Christmas. And then our guest speaker that day is going to be our very own Raina and we are super excited to have her. It's just, it's going to be an awesome day. So mark your calendars now we're not doing a christmas eve service uh so december 20th at our normal time that is the big christmas service okay so thank you so much as always for listening thank you for being a part of what we're doing and thank you for believing in us that's just so flattering and amazing anyway here is hannah and this message is called much ado about taxes so last week we just had like a chat we didn't really we had some emotions from last week, with some anxieties from last week. Um, so we didn't get like super in-depth. We just had a chat, which is totally fine. But today, we're gonna get in the Bible. Okay, y'all ready? It's my favorite thing. Today's message is called, Much Ado About Texas. Thanks for laughing, it was bad. <laughs> so our passage, I'm gonna steal this. Sorry, Heather, you're gonna have to put it back. Uh, today's message comes from Matthew 22, verses 15 through 
through 22. We're going to read it, and then we're going to talk about it like we do every Sunday. I don't know why I feel the need to explain that. So it's on screen. You can read along. This is the New Living Translation. It says, Then the Pharisees met together to plot how to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. They sent some of their disciples, along with the supporters of Herod, to meet him. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You teach the way of God truthfully. You are impartial and don't play favorites. Now tell us what you think about this. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus knew their evil motives. You hypocrites, he said. Why are you trying to trap me? Here, show me the coin used for the tax. And when they handed him the Roman coin, he asked, whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they said. And he said, well then, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, give to God what belongs to God. And his reply amazed them, and they went away. They had nothing to say. Can you, through the magic of the interweb, put up the first verse slide again? Because <laughs> I did not put it in twice. Y'all have to forgive me. I have a good excuse. I don't know what my excuse is going to be like once the baby's out. I'm going to be like, well, I'm just bad at this. <laughs> so um, if I were teaching this class or teaching this passage to a class of students, I would stop here and be like, how can you tell me? Tell me, like, why something is wrong here. If we didn't have the first sentence, which is verse 15, that tells us plainly the Pharisees met together to plot how to trap Jesus into saying something he could be arrested for, how would we know something is wrong? You guys are lucky, I gave you a break, okay? I gave you verse 15. If this was class, I would start in verse 16, and then I would know who did the assigned reading. But we already know the Pharisees are being shady, but there's other ways we can tell. Now, the Pharisees were the people's religious leaders of the day. There were two kinds, Pharisees and Sadducees. The Pharisees were like just regular religious leaders, like this is a bad example, but just the pastors of the world. The Sadducees ran the temple. They generally were more lax on their policies with Rome. They generally had much more money. So, <laughs> I'm sorry I'm using this metaphor now because we have a practicing Catholic, but just imagine the Pharisees are like regular pastors and the Sadducees is like the clergy of the Roman Catholic Church. So much money. Um, <laughs> So the Sadducees ran the temple. Now, in the New Testament, Jesus' main opponents are the Pharisees. He's always getting in fights with them. They're always trying to harass him. The Sadducees show up, but, and they're not like good people, but the main opponent is the Pharisees. So how do we know something is wrong? This is where I would ask people to use a little bit of deductive reasoning. For one, we're in Matthew chapter 22. There's only 28 chapters in Matthew. We all know how the story ends, right? <laughs> Jesus gets killed. So this cannot be going in a good direction, right? We're pretty close to Jesus being like offed. So probably not a good start. It's unlikely a story about the Pharisees would be all nice and put them in a positive light this close to Jesus' death. Two, they start by saying such nice things to Jesus. Oh, red flag. They say, you're honest, you teach God's ways truthfully, you're impartial, you don't pay favorites. Ridiculous. Even if Jesus wasn't God, he could have seen through this, right? 
They're saying Jesus teaches God's way truthfully. They're the ones who for 22 chapters have been accusing him of being a false prophet and of spreading lies and misinformation. Anytime someone who doesn't like you starts a conversation with how wonderful you are, it'd be pretty dense to know that something is not up, right? Jesus is not that dense, <laughs> thankfully. Three, and this is something I wouldn't expect, unless you know something about church history, people to pick up on. The Pharisees show up to talk to Jesus with, and they bring with them the followers of Herod. Another word for this is Herodians. Who cares? Well, the Pharisees and the Herodians did not get along. The Herodians, this is like very obvious naming choices. They were supporters of Herod. <laughs> so they supported Herod Antipas, who had been named King of the Jews by Rome. And they were like Roman patriots, essentially. They were all for Herod, they were all for Rome. Loved it. Pharisees, on the other hand, staunchly opposed to Caesar. They didn't want to pay taxes to Caesar. Now, their opposition was based less on the Roman occupation and more on religious leaders or religious reasons. So to pay Caesar's tax, which was a specific tax that you had to pay to Caesar, you had to use a specific coin. And this coin had Caesar's face on it. And it was known as the divine Caesar. It looked like that. That's Tiberius. So what a handsome guy. <laughs> One of the Caesars, one of the emperors of Rome. Why was it known as the divine Caesar? Because Caesar was known as the son of God. So when one Roman emperor dies, his successor, usually his kid, would claim to have this vision of Caesar ascending into heaven and being welcomed into the realm of the gods and being crowned officially as a god, which would make the new Caesar the son of God. And a lot of the language surrounding Jesus in the New Testament, like we just accept because we're church people, we're like, yes, king of the Jews, son of God, blah, blah, blah. Wonderful. Well, it had a double meaning, right? So for Jesus to be king of the Jews, what's the problem with that? There already is one, and his name is Herod. For Jesus to say, or disciples to say, or people to say that Jesus is the son of God, that's a problem because there already is the son of God, and it's Caesar, for us to say Jesus is Lord, we're just like, yes, Jesus is Lord. We like write that in songs, sing it. Well, that's a problem because there already is the Lord and it's Caesar. It's not Jesus. So it has all of these double meanings. Anyways, that was a side note. The divine Caesar image on the coin for the Pharisees. The Pharisees were widely known for being sticklers about the Jewish law. And they had to stick up their butts mostly. They were very annoying about being sticklers about the Jewish law. Um, we would call them perhaps fundamentalists <laughs> today. Uh, not all of them, but most of them. So they're strictly observing the Jewish law. What is wrong with the coin? It's a violation of the first two commandments of the Ten Commandments. One, you shall have no other gods before me. That's a problem if we're paying the son of God, Caesar, with a coin that has a God's face on it. So that's problem number one. And then two, the second commandment is you will not make any carved or painted or graven or any kind of images to worship or use in any sense at all. Well, the coin is clearly a carved <laughs> image of a God. 
So this is a problem for the Pharisees. So if the Pharisees and the Herodians fundamentally did not get along, what could possibly bring them together? Why would they be working on the same team? Well, their mutual desire to see Jesus removed from the scene, of course. Collusion! The best reason. <laughs> the enemy of my enemy is my friend. <laughs> right? They get together. They're like, we hate you. You hate me. We're a happy family. Let's go get Jesus kicked off the island. So they go together, and they are asking Jesus this question. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? They're so proud of themselves for coming up with this mind bender. They just think there's no possible way that Jesus can get out of this question without making himself look bad. I love questions like this. Like sometimes people will come up to me and they'll be like, I have thought of a question that has never been asked before. Let me ask it of you. Can God make a rock so big that God can't lift it? <laughs> I have come up with this conundrum that you can't possibly have an answer to. I do have an answer to that one. Um, but you don't get to know, <laughs> unless you talk to me in person. Now, they say, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? What's, what's the problem? Jesus is stuck here. If Jesus says, yes, it is right to pay taxes to Caesar, the Pharisees will then have a case that Jesus is a Roman sympathizer. It's a problem, because all of Jesus' followers, pretty much, are poor Palestinian Jews. And they're going to be really sad. Because this specific, specific tax put like this huge economic burden on them. Such a burden, in fact, that it caused a revolt like 20 years earlier, which the Romans crushed, obviously. <laughs> Nobody beats Rome. Except Rome. Rome beat itself later, if you read history. But they squash this. So Jesus cannot saying that, say that paying taxes is the way to go. Bad idea. But if Jesus opposes paying taxes to Caesar the Herodians will get to accuse him of sedition and treason. So he can't say not paying taxes is the way to go either. This is like the scene in The Princess Bride where <laughs> the dread pirate Roberts is like facing off with Vizzini and there's the two cups. And he's like, which one has the deadly iocane powder? So if I were like more with it, you would have a video clip to watch, but I wasn't. So you get to uh, just imagine me as a short, bald person in The Princess Bride, and this is what Vizzini says. All I have to do is divine it from what I know of you. Are you the sort of man who would put poison into the goblet of his own or his enemies? A clever man would put poison into his own goblet because he would know that only a great fool would reach for what he was given. I am not a great fool. So clearly, I cannot choose the wine in front of you but you must have known I was not a great fool. You would have counted on it. So clearly I cannot choose the wine that was in front of me. I think that was a much better reenactment, honestly. <laughs> if you haven't seen The Princess Bride, okay, this movie has been out since two years before I was born. So like, get on it, okay? That's your homework. <laughs> Spoiler alert, 30 years later, there was iocane powder in both cups. The Dread Pirate Roberts had spent years building an immunity to iocane powder. So, both answers, both cups are poisoned. <laughs> I don't know if this metaphor really tracks, but I got to talk about the Princess Bride at church, so <laughs> I feel like we're doing pretty well. There is no way, like what, what is Jesus supposed to do? Jesus refuses to play their game entirely. In verse 19, it says, Jesus knew their evil motives, and he said, you hypocrites, 
why are you trying to trap me? And he makes them hold up the coin and he says, whose picture is this? And they're like, Caesar, obviously. And then Jesus says that famous line, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, give to God what belongs to God. Much ado about taxes. Seems a little ridiculous unless we remember that, you know, our country was literally founded on a war about taxes. Um, so, yay, America. And we had our own sympathizers with the crown, <laughs> and we had the people who were opposed, and thankfully we didn't, they weren't both trying to trap Jesus because that had already happened, but our coins say, in God we trust on them, our coins. That's not true any more than Caesar being the son of God is true. Like, it probably shouldn't be there anyways. That might possibly be a violation of the separation of church and state. I'm not going to get into like super political here, but in God we trust, come on. Maybe in our military industrial complex and capitalism we trust, amen. <laughs> I don't think we trust in God. Like I don't know why that's stamped on our coins. Just because it says it doesn't mean it's true. Just because Caesar's face is on the coin doesn't mean that he's God. The question of taxes even though they're just trying to trap Jesus into saying something that can get him in trouble, this is a problem because at the heart of the question, they were just trying to trap him. But on another level, the question is, what do we do when allegiance with Caesar conflicts with allegiance to God? What do we do when we're faced with two opposing paths? What if the God we follow and the government we live under are pulling us in different directions? What are we supposed to do? Is Jesus saying that we should just blindly follow Caesar? Do what the government says. No. Although I have heard sermons about that. Like you just gotta obey the government, do your civic duty, blah, 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 which I'm for, okay? But sometimes that goes too far. The, the language in this text is saying that neither side can be dismissed as making an illegitimate claim. Whether it's in the form of taxes or duties or other allegiances, right? The government does have a legitimate claim on its subjects. It's ridiculous to think that a government doesn't have a legitimate claim, even though governments typically, often, go wildly off the rails and do some terrible things. You can't exist without some form, right? We can't just have anarchy because humans, have you met them? Doesn't work well. God has designed the world in such a way that it needs to be governed by something. So the government has a legitimate claim to run things, to put parameters in place. But that does not mean that we follow or have blind obedience to everything the government says for us to do. Jesus makes this clear here, and I think that we skip this sometimes because we're like, oh yes, Caesar to Caesar, God to God, it's lovely, it's delightful, is what he's saying. No, the second half of Jesus' answer is why they were stumped. Give to the government the things that belong to the government. This is normal and fine until you reach a point where obedience to the government leads to a moral conflict. Then you had best remember to give to God what is God's. And what is it that belongs to God? Now, the typical church answer for this is like, everything. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine. He owns the rivers and the rocks, and I don't know, that's the rest. I don't know the rest of the words. That's not the right answer here. Also, another church answer would be, what belongs to God? Blessing and honor and glory and praises 
in power. And we're like, yes, no. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yes, that stuff all belongs to God. That's not the point here. We're talking about images. Caesar's image is on the coin, but what is God's image on? What, throughout the entire Bible, reiterated over and over and over, as belonging to God and bearing the image of God, what is that? Humans. Cold, lifeless coins belong to Caesar. Living, breathing humans made of flesh and blood. This is what belongs to God. This is what bears God's image. Every person is marked with the divine image of the one true God. And Caesar has an interest in the well-being of his subjects as long as his power over their lives and like his livelihood is not being threatened. But what Caesar's most interested in is the coins with his picture, right? And we can apply this to literally any government. We could apply this to our government. The government has an interest in the well-being of our lives as long as the livelihood is not threatened. But what we most have an interest in is the power and the coins, right? But God has some interest in the coins and what people do with them. But what God is most interested in is the humans who bear God's image. Even when the picture is difficult to recognize, it's still there and God sees it. So Jesus escapes trouble because he answers in such a way that leaves both of them confused. The Pharisees and the Herodians were like, hmm. What? They literally just walked away. Like I've never had a conversation where I said something that was so profound that the, <laughs> the people asking me the question were like, huh, and then just left. <laughs> they just leave. They can't think of anything to say. Another translation says they were speechless and so they left. So Jesus escapes trouble right then. But we haven't. We haven't escaped our duty to wrestle with Jesus' words. What does it mean in our own lives to give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's? Because even with the knowledge that we are authorized to be good citizens and good neighbors and good people, up to the point where there's a moral conflict, there is no easy answer. It's not like Jesus was like, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God's what is God's. And here is a 1,000 page manual of all the possible scenarios that could come up where the government asks you to do something and you, don't, you have a moral conflict and here's the exact right answer that you should do in every given situation. Jesus just stops talking. So what? We're supposed to figure it out? That's not very nice. Jesus should give us the answer, right? If you've been around church um, a while, maybe you've heard the song that's like, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Okay, great, yes, but that is not helpful. <laughs> like, what am I supposed to do when faced with an actual real scenario where someone, the government says some, one thing, and God, I feel like, is saying something else? What are we supposed to do? Because the problem is, in figuring out it ourselves, we always arrive at multiple resolutions. Multiple possible right outcomes. We want there to be one, one answer to every scenario, one easy answer. There are almost never any easy answers when ethics are involved. 
Is it right or is it wrong? You tell me. Not everyone. You. You tell me. Why is it right to do X? Why is it wrong? And then you tell me. And then you tell me. And then you tell me. Why? Because our experiences and our faith and our, the way that we've lived our lives, this all informs us differently. Now, there are certainly themes of what is right and what is wrong. Like the fundamental is humans are made in the image of God and should be treated as such. You never deny personhood of someone. But how does this work out? Well, The problem is we don't have easy answers. If you think this sounds really hard, it's because it is really hard. <laughs> this is nothing new, though. Like, I don't know why we're surprised when people disagree with each other in church about what is the best path forward, right? Because even among Jesus' disciples, there's disagreements. So one of Jesus' disciples was called, this was his name, Simon the Zealot. He wasn't called that for no reason. Um... He was actually a zealot. Not in like the DC talk, what would people think if they knew that I'm a Jesus freak kind of way. Uh, He was a card-carrying member of the group called the Zealots who were adamantly opposed to any type of cooperation with Rome. In fact, the Zealots even attacked like pro-Roman Jews. Like they would attack their own people who wanted to work with Rome. And yet, Simon's a disciple of Jesus. And so was Matthew, the namesake of the book where these verses come from. And he was a former tax collector, literally collecting the taxes that belonged to Caesar, literally gathering the coins that had Caesar's image on them. And both Simon and Matthew are disciples in Jesus' innermost circle and they clearly must have fundamentally disagreed on what was the right thing to do. We wouldn't even get into the question of like violence versus nonviolence. Like Peter chops the guy's ear off because they're trying to take Jesus. And then we have Stephen the martyr who people are literally throwing stones at him until he dies and the whole time he's just praying for forgiveness for them. Which one is right? What are you supposed to do? How are we supposed to proceed? so many possible answers. We just want there to be one. I would like there to be one. God gives us one. It's Jesus. This is why we need discernment. But this is also why we need each other, right? Because if I say, this is the right answer, well, maybe by listening to your right answers, my answer will be affected because I will take into consideration things that I've never thought about before. I will take into consideration the struggles of people that I've never thought about before, the life experiences of people that I've never thought about before, different ways of viewing things entirely. And maybe it'll be the same for you. And God calls us to actually do that together, even when we don't agree. We're supposed to work together to forge a path forwards, a path of hope and community and faith, not a path filled with gotcha moments where we try to trap people into saying something that we can be like, gotcha, you're not a real Christian. You've clearly never seen Jesus in your life. No, what a waste of time. What a waste of time. I'm sure we have all had those moments in church 
you've been around. People are like, you said what? A what? No. Why are we doing this? What a waste of time. We're supposed to be forging a path where actually, in order to arrive at the answer, in order to arrive at how we should proceed, we have to be the most humble, the most forgiving, the most open to teach and to be taught. Not a path where we try to like, feel superior to each other, because we know more. A path where we very closely examine our spiritual motivations at a personal level. In, a stu in the study of ethics, this is called third way ethics. When presented with two choices that are opposed, and those seem to be the only answers, we are to look for the third way because there always is a third way. And this is why they were speechless. <laughs> because they were like, it's, it's this or this. Both are wrong. Both will get you in trouble. But you gotta pick one. And Jesus was like, nope. <laughs> Not picking one. Suck on that. <laughs> Maybe that's not how I should end the sermon. I don't know. <laughs> I'm pretty much done. <laughs> the third way is we get to work together. So we have two more songs, and then we're gonna have some brunch at Three Daughters. So if you like wanna go, the teardown team is gonna be super fast again. <laughs> and I am not gonna carry anything because I'm practically useless now. And then we can go like hang out, socially distancing from each other if you don't wanna be close to how amazing I am. <laughs> Let's pray. God of redemption, God of hope, God of third ways. By your grace, we learn to perceive differently. You have set us on a new path. With humility, we will keep seeking to understand. With discernment, we will wade bravely into the struggles of life together. And persistently and faithfully and relentlessly, we will keep our gaze set on you. Bring us close to you, God, and meet us as we are with your transforming love. Amen.